Welcome to the Dead Author Society. Frank Herbert, February 11th, 1986. Rest in peace. Dune, Messiah, Chapter 10. The questioning silence of the moment was broken by the sound of someone whistling. As he walked down the outer hall, the whistling was stilled by a guardsman's barked command as it came opposite the door. Corba, I think you may survive all this, Paul said, and he read the growing light of understanding. On Stilger's face. The strangers in the gardens, sire? Stilger asked. Ah, oh, yes, Paul said. Have Banerjee put them out still? Corba will assist. Me, sire? Corba betrayed deep disquiet. Some of my friends. I've forgotten they once were Fremen, Paul said, speaking to Corva, but designing his words for Stilger. You will mark down the ones Chani identifies as Sadakar, and you will have them killed. Do it yourself. I want it done quietly, without undue disturbance. We must keep in mind that there's more to religion and government than approving treaties and sermons. I obey the orders of Maudib, Corba whispered. The Zabulon computations, Stilker asked. Tomorrow, Paul said, and when the strangers are removed from the gardens, announce that the reception is ended party's over still. I understand, my lord. I'm sure you do, Paul said. Here lies a toppled god. His fall was not a small one. We did but build his pedestal, a narrow and a tall one. Telelaksu epigram. Alia crouched, resting elbows on knees, chin on fists, stared at the body on the dune, a few bones and some tattered flesh that once had been a young woman. The hands, the head, most of the upper torso were gone, eaten by the Coriolis wind. The sand all now bore the tracks of her brother's medics and questers. They were gone now, all excepting the mortuary attendants who stood to one side with hate, the gula, waiting for her to finish her mysterious perusal of what had been written here. A wheat-colored sky enfolded the scene, and the glaucous light coming to mid-afternoon for these latitudes. The body had been discovered several hours earlier by a low-flying courier whose instruments had detected a faint water trace where none should be. His call had brought the experts, and they had learned. What? 
that this had been a woman of about 20 years, famine, addicted to Samuda, and she had died here in the crucible of the desert from the effects of a subtle poison of Telalaxu origin. To die in the desert was a common enough occurrence, but a Fremen addicted to Samuda, this was such a rarity that Paul had sent her to examine the scene in the ways their mother had taught them. Alia felt that she had accomplished nothing here except to cast her own aura of mystery about a scene that was already mysterious enough. She heard the gula's feet stir the sand, looked at him. His attention rested momentarily upon the escort thopters circling overhead like a flock of ravens. Beware of the guild-bearing gifts, Alia thought. The mortuary thopter and her own craft stood on the sand near a rock outcropping behind the gula, focusing on the grounded thopters filled Alia with a craving to be airborne away from here. But Paul had thought she might see something here which others would miss. She squirmed in her still suit. It felt raspingly unfamiliar after all the suitless months of city life. She studied the gula, wondering if he might know something important about this peculiar death. The lock of his black goat hair, she saw, had escaped his still suit hood. She sensed her hand longing to tuck that hair back into place. As though lured by this thought, his gleaming gray metal eyes turned toward her. The eyes sent her trembling, and she tore her gaze away from him. A feminine woman had died here from a poison called the Throat of Hell. A feminine addicted to Samuda. She shared Paul's disquiet at this conjunction. The mortuary attendants waited patiently. This corpse contained not enough water for them to salvage. They felt no need to hurry. And they'd believe that Alia, through some glyptic art, was reading a strange truth in these remains. No truth came to her. There was only a distant feeling of anger within her at the obvious thoughts in the attendants' minds. It was a product of the damned religious mystery. She and her brother could not be people. They had to be something more. The Vena Gesserit had seen to that by manipulating Atreides' ancestry. Their mother had contributed to it by thrusting them onto the path witchery, and Paul perpetuated the difference. The Reverend Mothers, encapsulated in Alia's memory, stirred restlessly, provoking adapt flashes of thought. Peace, little one. You are what you are. There are compensations. Compensations? She summoned the gula with a gesture. He stopped beside her, attentive, Patient, what do you see in this? She asked. We may never learn who it was died here, 
he said. The head, the teeth are gone, the hands. Unlikely such a one had a genetic record somewhere to which her cells could be matched. Kilalaksu poison, she said. What do you make of that? Many people buy such poisons. True enough. And this flesh is too far gone to be regrown, as was done with your body. Even if you could trust the Tilalaxu to do it, he said. She nodded, stood. You fly me back to the city now. When they were airborne and pointed north, she said, you fly exactly as Duncan Idaho did. He cast a speculative glance at her. Others have told me this. What are you thinking now? She asked. Many things. Stop dodging my question, damn you. Which question? She glared at him. He saw the glare, shrugged. How like Duncan Idaho that gesture, she thought. Accusingly, her voice thick and with a catch in it, she said. I merely wanted your reaction's voice to play my own thoughts against them. That young woman's death bothers me. I was not thinking about that. What were you thinking about? About the strange emotions I feel when people speak of the one I may have been. May have been? The Telaloxo are very clever. Not that clever. You were Duncan Idaho. Very likely. It's the prime computation. So you get emotional? To a degree. I feel eagerness. I'm uneasy. There's a tendency to tremble, and I devote effort to controlling it. I get flashes of imagery. What imagery? It's too rapid to recognize flashes, spasms, almost memories. Aren't you curious about such memories? Of course. Curiosity urges me forward, but I move against a heavy reluctance. I think, what if I'm not the one they believe me to be? I don't like that thought. And this is all you were thinking? You know better than that, Alia. How dare he use my given name? She felt anger rise and go down beneath the memory the way he'd spoken. Softly throbbing undertones, casual male confidence, a muscle twitch along her jaw. She clenched her teeth. Isn't that El Cuds down there? He asked, dipping a wing briefly, causing a sudden flurry in their escort. She looked down at their shadows rippling across the promontory above Hark Pass the cliff and the rock pyramid containing the skull of her father. El Kutz, holy place. That's the holy place, she said. I must visit that place one day, he said. Nearness to your father's remains may bring memories I can capture. 
She saw suddenly how strong must be this need to know who he'd been. It was a central compulsion with him. She looked back at the rocks, the cliff with its base sloping into a dry beach and a sea of sand. Cinnamon rock lifting from the dunes like a ship breasting waves. Circle back, she said. The escort. They'll follow. Swing under them. He obeyed. Do you truly serve my brother? She asked when he was on the new course, the escort following. I serve the Atreides, he said, his tone formal. And she saw his right hand lift, fall. Almost the old salute of Caledon. A pensive look came over his face. She watched him peer down at the rock pyramid. What bothers you? She asked. His lips moved. A voice emerged, brittle, tight. He was... He was... A tear slid down his cheek. Alia found herself stilled by feminine awe. He gave water to the dead. Compulsively, she touched a finger to his cheek, felt the tear. Duncan, she whispered. He appeared locked to the thopter's controls, gaze fastened to the tomb below. She raised her voice. Duncan! He swallowed, shook his head, looked at her metal eyes glistening. I felt an arm on my shoulders. He whispered, I felt it. An arm. His throat worked. It was a friend. It was my friend. Who? I don't know. I think it was. I don't know. The call light began flashing in front of Alia. Their escort captain wanted to know why they returned to the desert. She took the microphone, explained that they had paid a brief homage to her father's tomb. The captain reminded her that it was late. We will go to Arakin now, she said, replacing the microphone. Eight took a deep breath, banked their thopter around the north. It was my father's army of foe, wasn't it? She asked. Perhaps. His voice was that of the Mentat computing probabilities. She saw he had regained his composure. Are you aware of how I know my father? She asked. I have some idea. Let me make it clear, she said. Briefly, she explained how she had awakened to Reverend Mother Awareness before birth. The terrified fetus with the knowledge of countless lives embedded in her nerve cells. And all this after the death of her father. I know my father as my mother knew him.
she said. In every last detail of every experience she shared with him, in a way, I am my mother. I have all her memories, up to the moment when she drank the water of life and entered the trance of transmigration. Your brother explained something of this. He did? Why? I asked. Why? A mentad requires data. Oh, she looked down at the flat expanse of the shield wall, tortured rock pits and crevices. He saw the direction of her gaze said, a very exposed place that down there. But an easy place to hide, she said. She looked at him. It reminds me of a human mind with all its concealments. Ah, he said. Ah? What does that mean? Ah. She was suddenly angry with him, and the reason for it escaped her. You'd like to know what my mind conceals, he said. It was a statement, not a question. How do you know I haven't exposed you for what you are by my powers of prescience? She demanded. Have you? He seemed genuinely curious. No? Sibyls have limits, he said. He appeared to be amused, and this reduced Alia's anger. Amused? Have you no respect for my powers? She asked. The question sounded weakly argumentative, even to her own ears. I respect your omen's importance perhaps more than you think, he said. I was in the audience for your morning ritual. And what does that signify? You've great ability with symbols, he said, keeping his attention on the thopter's controls. That's a benegesserate thing, I'd say. But as with many witches, you've become careless of your powers. She felt a spasm of fear, blared. How dare you? I dare much more, my makers anticipated, he said. Because of that rare fact, I remain with your brother. Alias studied the steel balls which were his eyes. No human expression there. The still suit hood concealed the line of his jaw, his mouth remained firm though, great strength in it, and determination. His words carried a reassuring intensity. Dare much more. That was a thing Duncan Idaho might have said. Had the Telelaxu fashioned their gula better than they knew? Or was this mere sham part of his conditioning? Explain yourself, gula, she commanded. Know thyself. Is that thy commandment? He asked. Again, she felt that he was amused. Don't bandy words with me. You... You thing? She said. She put a hand to the crisp knife in its throat sheath. Why were you given to my brother? Your brother tells me that you watch the presentation. He said... You've heard me answer that question for him. 
Answer it again. For me. I am intended to destroy him. Is that the Mentat speaking? You know the answer to that without asking. He chided. And you know as well that such a gift wasn't necessary. Your brother already was destroying himself quite adequately. Thanks for joining the Dead Authors Society bookworms. Why don't we just save ourselves some time and smash that subscribe button?